Life Audio. Welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sidyard, and this is the fourth episode of my new series, Power to Change P2C. Uh, I'm proclaiming God's love for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely. Look, that's everybody. It's a scale of zero to ten. You may be a two or maybe an eight today, but we're on that scale, this side of heaven. And, and we want to feel more loved. We want to feel more lovable. We want to experience the love of God more. So who, who would benefit from this series? Christians. Uh, and maybe non-Christians. It might be a really good witness. It's for those who, who want to experience Jesus and, and, and their experience of Jesus' love for them, his pride of them as his sons and daughters has waned. Uh, maybe you're just, you know, maybe we, we bored you. Maybe we, we put you to sleep. Maybe we're just, you're just tired, tired of trying. I mean, the world's a tough place right now. Maybe you're getting dope hits from some other meds, you know, some other addictive activities. Maybe you're an addict. This is definitely a series for, for addicts, chronic or not. Look, you're not alone. No shame. Uh, it's, it's for those who want more. Think discipleship, spiritual growth. You want your spiritual growth to just take off. Well, welcome. This should make a difference. And when you find it beneficial, help us by getting the word out. Make it organic. Let's get this thing out. Let's get that revival going. The buzz. Talk to friends. Email. Social media. Let's start to change the world. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So what we're coming to see through our study in Galatians 5, and in particular our look at the power to change, is that you and I really don't have that kind of free decision-making complex we thought we had or would like to have. You know, the thing that you can just choose to do something. In fact, it is free only in a very narrow, narrow sense. If you really had free will, you could stop your addiction right now. Right, you've tried. Really, it's better to say that my decision-making complex is schizophrenic. It has multiple masters, multiple personalities. It's got conflicting interests. It's subconscious. It has massive blind spots. Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, is helpful here. He speaks of our decision-making complexes being insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. It uh, feels that way. Paul captures this when he rakes himself. I do not do the things that I want to do, but I do the things that I don't want to do. Oh, who will save me from my wretched flesh, that insane midbrain? 
But the good news of Christ and his work on the cross is that I can actually experience a different kind of power that expands my present freedom, that expands my sense of humanity and belongingness and uh, worth. And by the way, we're going to chat about that at the end of the time, but this has huge ramifications for telling our friends and neighbors the good news. We no longer are people looking to church for answers to life questions. You with me? So after some trust, after a relationship, they may just challenge you. All right, Christian, what do you have in that little magic bag of yours, Jesus follower, that could possibly help me with my relationship with my spouse and my kid and my parents? What do you have that can help me forgive that, that thing that that person or that institution did to me? What do you have that can set me free from guilt? If, if you have anything that can help me actually transform me, I'm interested. Okay, go. You got 15 minutes. That's, that's where we are. <clears throat> that's where our evangelism must be today. So first, you and I must experience the transformation of the good news today, tomorrow, the next day. We're not just relying on the one-time salvation. We're experiencing it again and again and again. It's a one-time salvation, but we re-experience it because of our midbrain. And so... Though we know that we should love, forgive, serve, wash feet of other people, think of others first over ourselves, give sacrificially of our hoarded coin to church and other ministries, um, I have deep within me an insane, harmful tendency to be self-centered, jealous, self-serving, self-absorbed, anxious, angry, blaming, paranoid, a little or a lot. A scale. Zero to ten, maybe a two or three or five or seven, but you're on the scale, and we can do better. No judgment, no shame. I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm not going to tell you to try harder. So these bents are not at all beneficial to your well-being. I guess that's Captain Obvious. They're self-destructive. I know way down deep that I am created with a desire for good things, and yet I also have this other inner disease desire to fill my mind and soul with garbage. Remember from the last show... Though I'm created for real intimacy, I embarrassingly want to pursue a twisted, abusive mockery of the sexual pornea. My flesh gets a hit from pornographic images and scenes. My flesh gets a hit from gossip and from comparing myself to others. Though I know I'm created to rejoice and celebrate, my flesh sells out to a lesser form of celebration. Drunken, emotional carousing. My flesh... My midbrain is going to sell out real joy for nausea and headaches. You? Yeah. Addicts want meds. Christian addicts want meds. Uh, The spirit wants life for you. So you you see the, the war we've been talking about. Okay? And though I know I am created to worship and glory in good things, God in particular, the highest, right, the, the personal creator God, In its place, I sadly, tragically substitute foolish idols. Two categories hopefully will help us bring Paul's purpose of this list all together. Parodies of worship. So this is, these are deviations from true relationship with God. Idolatria, that's idolatry. That's the Paul's list number four. Trinket gods, this is Peterson, disconnects worship of the mystery of the Trinity the stuff that I can't grasp, it's so big, I'm just sitting in awe of its shadow and light, and it commercializes it. Trinkets. It's consumerism, disguised as worship. And perhaps a compound from Eidolon, Idol, and Latria worship, so it's worship of idols. And uh, the second thing is pharmakeia. 
the fifth in Paul's list, sometimes translated witchcraft, magic show, religion, Peterson calls it. Originally, the medical use of drugs was involved, we think, in worship, <clears throat> to get, get me a high. Uh, and sorcery severs means, the high, from ends and trivializes everything. Peterson, again, he's so good on this. So idolatry refers to anything in our worship that removes our vision ever so slightly from the glory and mystery of the triune God to something else. Uh, so it could be music. Could be things that the, the, the pastor or ministers are doing, the way they're dressed, the way they talk. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we enter into pharmacaea. Uh, could be the smells and bells. Right? It could be the, the types of music we're using to give us dope hits. All these things are good, but if it, if it, it removes my eyes from the mystery of God, the stunning, the, the beauty of God's love for the unlovable, right? Those little things, even though they're little shifts, they're tragic, they're damnable distractions. They may or may be objects or pictures or statues. They could be philosophies. I'm not saying all of them do that. Some of them actually direct me to the mystery. That's the point is we have to think through this, right? <clears throat> Some objects are very useful in worshiping God. We use objects all the time. We have communion, wine, and bread. We have music. We have prayer. And the question is, does this philosophy, practice, or object draw my thoughts and attention and desires and love to the Trinity, to the mystery of the Trinity, to the awesomeness of the Trinity, or to something other? To Jesus' work and God's present absolute favor towards me, or the, does it move me to the need to earn God's favor over and over? So drama and worship dance, in my opinion, can be used either way. We just have to be careful about that. So can prayer, actually, a self-serving prayer, can actually suck the life out of worship. Music can go either way, and a message can go either way. Art is very useful in drawing the mind to God. I was at a sanctuary uh, on the East Coast, and you could tell by the architecture, and it was lifting you up. Your eyes automatically, naturally, subconsciously just went up to, to this cross. It was beautiful. I mean, the effect was very, very, very powerful. So architecture could be glorious in directing us to the Holy God. Pharmacaea is closely related to sorcery and witchcraft. This is the pagan religion at its core. There are drugs and rhythmic music, emotional appeals and laughter and crying, uncontrolled erotic dancing and chanting and mantras, all designed to work us up into a frenzy. It's a dope hit, right? To bring emotions to a pinnacle of experiential bliss. But as I just described it, that's a mockery of worship because it becomes all about me and my experience. And God doesn't even need to be there. Is pharmacaea attractive? Yeah, like all of the other works of the flesh, it's attractive. That's why my flesh goes for it. It feels good. And, and to many, that's real worship. They leave going, you know, I, I didn't feel that high this, this, this week. That, in a sense, is under that pharmacaea umbrella. But one will find that that's a voracious monster, very addictive. It has to be continually satisfied. I've got to get more and more hits, so I begin to jones for it. I'll leave a church if I don't feel that again and again and again. It's another addiction. And it's strictly consumeristic. The shift from Christ-centered to me-centered. Worship not driven by, not my will, preference style, but thy will, preference style be done. And remember, though, pharmacaea is a counterfeit. And counterfeits are only good to the extent that they look and feel like the real thing. Godly worship, pure worship is experiential. If it's not experiential, it's just a lecture. And it, it is to envelop the whole body. 
body, minds, emotion. But at the heart of real worship is the triune God. Our attentions are drawn to him, not to me and my failings and, and the reason I should be shameful and sin, but him actually taking away my sin and loving me as I am. That's the gospel. His will for you, not your will for him. The experience is a function of being brought into the very presence of God, like Isaiah 6. And that's scary and wonderful. And that's the transformation I spoke about. Uh, and, and in a sense... That's why we hire brilliant people who are godly, we hope, is they're creating a process where I'm drawn into his presence, not him into my presence. Uh, and by the way, to do that, I need his power in me. I can't do it on my own. Uh, and there I want to give up my demands. There I just want to trust and submit and receive from him. A transformation happens every Sunday. The completed incomplete, that's us, gather together with all of our warts to meet with the great lover God who has already kissed us and bids us to come kiss him back. Song of songs. And so here we are, needy people, not proud, uh, but also not ashamed, not self-sufficient, and not judgmental, but in unison, worshiping the one person we all have in common, Jesus Christ, through his spirit. Many a congregation, when it assembles in church, must look to the angels like a muddy puddle shore at low tide, littered with every kind of rubbish and odds and ends and distressing sort of spectacle. And then the tide of worship comes in and it's all gone. The dead sea urchins and jellyfish, the paper and the empty cans and the nameless bits of rubbish. The cleansing sea flows over the whole lot so we are released from a narrow, selfish outlook on the universe by a common act of worship. Evelyn Underhill quoted in Peterson, Real worship has the power to really change me. Well, worship can do it. All right, we'll keep going after a short moment where we will get a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. The number 11 in Paul's list is dicostasia, Mockeries of community, it's plural, dissensions, noisy bickering. In political sense, in classic Greek, it could be disunity, strife, uh, polarization, sound familiar? <laughs> dissensions, divisions that result in chaos. And then number seven, eris, which is discord, cutthroat competition, Peterson again, contentiousness uh, that leads to strife and discord and anger. Again, sound familiar? Hyrasis, which is factions, again, sound familiar, small-minded, uh, uh, making a choice to, be, to stand apart from the other people of God, so separation, the, uh, those people who would, who, would, who would just leave church and say, I'm against the entire institution, uh, could be kind of fomented by this. It's party spirit partitions off one favorite truth, from the mansion of truth, and narrows it into bigotry. That's Peterson. Yeah. So, are we aware that our ongoing tendency, motivating and driving power as a community of faith, is to become narrow and separatist and me right, you wrong? And since we disagree, I can no longer fellowship with you. I can no longer follow you because I don't trust what you're saying. I mean, it's become so, 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 so narrow and judgmental and frankly, self-righteous. Hyrasis empowers me to be deeply judgmental of other communities. Divisive, cliquish. I mean, come on. Politically in the United States, we're just riddled with this. What we are saying, what Paul is saying is there's a reason for that. It's 
We all have it. It's just being inflamed. Does that make sense? And, and I can't just stop it. It can be inflamed, but I can't stop it. I need the power of the Spirit, His fruit, to become one, to actually accept other people as they are without beating them up and separating from them, right? Unity, the unity of heart and mind. Uh, so anyway, heresis empowers me to be deeply judgmental of other communities, divisive, cliquish. And I remember the point that Paul is making, that this is not stuff that happens every now and then. This is at the pit of my fallen soul, even with when the Holy Spirit's dwelling in my cesspool, what he smells is heresis. So give me even the slightest opportunity and motivation. I'm going to gossip and I'm going to criticize churches and denominations. I'm going to use innuendos, logic, argument to tear down other communities in order to build mine up. How many denominations do we have on the planet? I think we'll have to answer for that. Jesus has to die for that. I'm just saying we were called to unity. And, and I'm not judging because, you know, I've been a part of that too. So given an opportunity, my flesh will despise, look down on other sinners. And give me a bit of rope and I will gather around me people like-minded with me. And everybody else will become those I minister to. You know what that feels like, right? That when somebody's ministering to you, instead of coming alongside of you, I don't know, do, do we think did Jesus minister to or did Jesus actually enter in and incarnate? There's a big difference. It's a heart feel to it, a little or a lot. And remember, we all do it, zero to 10 scale. On any given day, you may be a two today, God bless you. You might be a five tomorrow. We're all on the scale, believe me. Paul is ever mindful of this sinful aspect of our sinful natures and, and how it dangerously affects the fragile community of faith. He faced it in Antioch. Peter withdrew from the Gentiles over very bigoted, narrow concerns from certain Christians. The Galatians were about to fall prey to factions from Jerusalem. Uh, these were professional heresious people. <laughs> from the camp of James, even, they would say. In Corinth, a few years later, the church will disintegrate into the camps, the factions of Peter and Paul. These are all people Jesus died for. Adiaphora. And over what? Teachers, food laws, days of religious celebration. Are we to celebrate on Saturday or Sunday? Uh, how do we do circumcision? How do we do baptism? What does baptism mean? How do, what do we do with food dedicated to idols? Can we eat it? Uh, what about money and wealth and culture and political party and sex? What's our definition of pornea? And what do we do? Is some pornea worse than other pornea? None of these things Paul thought were occasions for factions uh, or cliques. In fact, he was very conciliatory towards other opinions as it relates to food usage. Check 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, even food associated with idols. He's, he's trying to be a peacemaker. Sacred days, circumcision, drinking. These are things that were adiaphora to Paul. He had opinion, no doubt. Uh, and he knew God had opinion, but, you know, he held it loosely. Adiaphora. It didn't divide the community. John Calvin refers to that as adiaphora. See, we may and are encouraged to search the scripture, we should, use godly wisdom, seek advice, counsel of elders on all these issues. We should make it a matter of conscience for ourselves, have an opinion, and willingly give them up if they offend the weaker brother. I mean, I'm not talking about enabling sin. I'm talking about 
this, this, this category out of Afra, these are things that should fit in the category of diversity that leads to unity, diversity that doesn't destroy unity, diversity where we can continue to dialogue until we have a better answer. In the meantime, always, we hug each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a matter to divide over. Gosh, it's almost hard to say that in today's atmosphere. It's not, it's not matters of criticism or judgment, shaming, or denominational schisms. Heresis takes the single orb of truth and makes it the single measuring stick of others. Heresis takes the single orb of truth and makes it a single measuring stick of others. So, adiaphora might include the type of music, the amount of music, worship, philosophy, eschatology. How, how's the world going to end? Uh, what does it look like? Nobody knows. You can have strong opinions, good for you, but it shouldn't divide. Unless it's just wild off the, if it's not biblical, if it's not even in the realm of biblical understanding, okay. But if it's, if it's biblical stuff and people can argue from the Bible, man, really? Philosophy of ministry, gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, which ones are, what are they even? I mean, they're, we're not sure in a lot of a lot of things, we hold them loosely, we explore, we dialogue, we continue to love our brothers and sisters. Issues of organization and leadership of the church, philosophy, direction of children's ministry, evangelism, as long as the essential issues are held unswervingly. There are things we, we hold to. So do you have room right now in your brain for this concept of that there may be adiaphora, that, that maybe you've made... Absolute truth, and uh, and have just divided over again and again, or are every one of your beliefs how you see things, how you interpret things, are they sacrosanct? Are you speaking the mind of God on all these things? By the way, including the Trinity, it's so huge, it's so high, we only understand a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what it actually means. <laughs> if someone disagrees with you. Are they automatically wrong? Are they against you? Does that paranoid loneliness kick in? Are they unclean? Should they be rejected? Look, in my opinion, there's three critical top-tier things. There's the gospel. What is it? There's the nature and person of the triune God, which we have to hold loosely because it's, he is so big, he's so other. Uh, and yet, there's some things. The verbal and plenary inspiration of the Bible. Uh, those things, man, okay. If you're attacking those things... That's not adiaphora. You know what I'm saying? And we can push them. We can talk about that too. In my denomination, we hold to what we call essentials of Orthodox Christianity. And it's critical. These things we will divide. We will um, uh, call out shifts from many of these things. Matter of fact, you actually, if you're a pastor and minister, you actually have to say if you veer from those things. If any of those essentials slip, we have to be very careful, careful what the list is. I'm thinking the whole thing slips. Uh, these things are worth fighting for and dividing over. But, but what Paul is speaking of is that we, our flesh, that is, has this powerful bent and motivation to divide over piddly things, non-essentials, things we don't understand. It's, it's not about the thing as much as it is about my flesh. Are you with me? I'm saying there's a tendency to divide over things that God doesn't want us to divide over. We dialogue. Let's take it seriously. And you may disagree with my list. But if we're dividing over it, I'm thinking partly, might be a two, might be a three, might be a nine, there's something else going on here that's, that's breaking community. <clears throat> yeah?
And when we divide, boy, we really divide in self-righteous huffs into hardened factions and cliques, uh, and the bickering begins, and it doesn't do much to the cause of Christ. You see, we have to be very careful realizing that God loves his other children ever so dearly, even when they are wrong. <laughs> and by the way, me too. Jesus already died for a myriad of sins, including misappropriation and misunderstanding of biblical truths. Nothing could be more likely than that each one of us is erred in so many ways, and yet we'll be in heaven with each other hugging. <sighs> Biblical community is so necessary for our ongoing experience of this higher humanity we've been talking about. We're made that way and saved into this community that is for me, for you. But my flesh is bent to go back to garbage. My flesh is bent to go towards dissension and cutthroat competition, defining myself according to this belief or that belief, this faction or that faction. I'm with this person politically. I'm not. I'm with this person politically. I need to separate from you. Our kids can't play together. Why do we need power to submit to community? Why is this so hard? Well, there is our innate selfishness that's bent towards division, apparently, the flesh. But there's also deep, unhealed wounds where community has beat us up before, so we're paranoid of community. Community is great, but it's hurt us. Uh, as long as I can find some reason to keep a distance, draw a line, I can avoid, you know, a dangerous plunge into messy waters. Have you seen churches recently? Uh, you know, some people go to church and they go, oh, my gosh, everybody here is so flawed. <laughs> That's why we're there. That's why we need to be there. That's why we, we go feeling a little unloved, unlovable, and, and unlovely. And we need to go to communion and hear Jesus go, you're my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. That's why we're there. Uh, you too. That's why you need to be here. So this is what we're made for, intimacy. It's two-way, unconditional love within a diverse, committed, Trinitarian community. And within the twisted white waters of diversity, I can find peace somehow through the Holy Spirit because he's the one that I'm actually unifying, who's making me unified with God. It's messy. There will be disappointments. I've been part of them. There'll be hurt feelings. I've been part of them. There'll be wounds. There'll be misunderstandings. Oh, oh, wait, I just shifted talking about marriage. <laughs> no, it's both. Uh, that's one of the reasons my, my selfish heresis is one of the reasons that I have a hard time in marriage, too, and you, too. Let's think of it another way. Do you imagine how embarrassing it would be in heaven to see these same people that you're critical of here, that you divided from in a huff and said they were sinner and heretics, right? And, and how do you think they're going to feel towards you? Swindoll says, if you find a perfect community, don't join it. You will mess it up. <laughs> so instead, be filled first and often with God's fullness, Ephesians 3, and then with a new power and motivation, take a daring, heroic jump into a flawed community. And oh yeah, uh, that community is going to hurt you and disappoint you. And you're going to want to separate and, and divide and be critical because that's the nature of your flesh. And you have to be careful if you're doing it because of your flesh or you're doing it because of God. But it's going to be a ride. And don't even think you can sit on the edge and grow. That's ignorance at best and denial and fear at worst. St. John neither complains of nor glorifies his churches. He accepts them as facts. They are God's means for calling persons together so that they can realize who their Lord is and who they are and develop the relationships that are coherent with those identities. 
The churches of the Revelation show us that churches are not Victorian parlors where everything is always picked up and ready for guests. They are messy family rooms. Entering a person's house unexpectedly, we are sometimes met with a barrage of apologies. St. John does not apologize. Things are out of order, to be sure, but that is what happens to churches that are lived in for as long as Jesus insists on calling sinners and not the righteous to repentance, and there is no indication as yet that he has changed his policy in that regard, churches are going to be an embarrassment to the fastidious and an affront to the upright. Much anger towards the church and most disappointments in the church are because of failed expectations. We expect a disciplined army of committed men and women who courageously lay siege to the worldly powers. Instead, we find some people who are more concerned with getting rid of crabgrass in their lawns. We expect a community of saints who are mature in the virtues of love and mercy and find ourselves working on a church supper where there is more gossip than there are casseroles. We expect to meet minds that are informed and shaped by great truths and rhythms of Scripture and and refined persons whose intellectual energy is barely sufficient to get them from the comics to the sports page. At such times, it is more important to examine and change our expectations than to change the church. For the church is not what we organize, but what God gives Not the people we want to be with, but the people God gives us to be with. A community created by the descent of the Holy Spirit in which we submit ourselves to the Spirit's affirmation, reformation, and motivation. There must be no idealization of the church. And lamentation ought to be restrained. Eulogy and anguish are alike misplaced. Churches are not little Jerusalems, either old or new. That's Eugene Peterson. I've said often, show me a church that's organized and doesn't make a mistake and isn't messy, and I'll show you a dead church. Not growing. So power to change. Yes, say the simple uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. You should begin to experience a new messiness, a new power, a new willingness to admit that you need a rescuer. Your, your, your flesh will open up a little bit to disparate views, to diverse people, a diverse community. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very messy. Uh, It's going to be scary. Yeah, I get that. But that's part of the lively church. I mean, look at the disciples, the ones who followed Jesus, uh, who he loved. And that's the idea. You'd be open to love uh, more people, right? Look up into the eyes of your Savior. See his adoring eyes upon you, uh, the addict, the troubled Christian. And there you're going to be more open to admit your fear your history of unforgiveness and past wounds. You might even feel freedom to tell God of your chronic inner drive towards faction. I mean, in your prayers, say, God, man, I did it again. You're you're bent towards dissension, cutthroat competition, and no judgment. Me too. He already knows. And he's not going to pull back from you. He's not going to hold his nose. He adores you. That's why he called you. Preach the simple uncluttered gospel again to your midbrain, the make me Holy Spirit prayer, make me, don't help me, make me, fill me with the fullness of God, the height, the length, and width, and depth of the love of Christ for, for the diverse and messy people around. Now, please, before I go and do something stupid, then become aware of God's new motivation within you. You can begin to feel it and plunge deeper into this flawed community. You've got this. So I told you that I was going to put a simple tool in your hand, the simple and cluttered gospel. Please say it twice a day for 45 days. No shame. I've got your back. I, I believe in you. I think you can do this. Or better, 
I believe in his spirit in you, just like he's in me. So just sit back, listen to it again, or you know what? You can even say it aloud along with me. Jesus follower addict, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. And this is true whether you shake your addiction or not. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple, good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask, ask again later today, ask tomorrow, make it a spiritual habit. And remember, what you're doing is you're presenting the gospel to that that dark, murky, shadowy, subconscious midbrain, um, the flesh. Are you noticing a change? You've been saying it a couple times now in the fourth episode. It could be little ones. Are you feeling a little less stressed, more hopeful, more loved by God, more love for other people? Uh, Are you seeking to self-medicate a little less often? Yeah, let me know. Bill at gospel-app.com. And remember, say the simple uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. Let me know what you think, what, what's happening. Bill at gospel-app.com. You can get them in bookmark form from gospelrant.com or gospelapp.com. Get a bunch. Put them all over your home, your place of work. Give them to your 12-step group. They're going to thank you. I'm writing a book on the overlooked and underappreciated women of the Old Testament. It's fascinating. It's a must-read, particularly you for, for women, women's groups, Bible studies. Do you want to know when it's published? Well, get on the list. Bill at gospel-app.com. And make sure that you follow this podcast, please. It really is important to us. Uh, pass the word on to family and friends. Ask them to follow as well. It can make a huge difference. Stay in your 12-step groups if you're an addict. Stay in counseling. Keep listening. Take heart, child of God. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.